0: Um, we are uh, we're looking at the life of Jesus uh, through in the life that he calls you and I to through the Gospel uh, of John and in we're in John chapter seven and at the uh, beginning of of John chapter seven there are some people who are searching for Jesus and the reason why they're searching for Jesus is because they want to they want to kill him. But as we're going to see in, in John chapter seven, there's a more fundamental search going on for Jesus because, because everyone in this chapter has a theory about who Jesus is. And, and, and really, I mean, to be truthful, we all have a theory about who Jesus is and want to one degree or another. But these people, they're drawing their conclusions about Jesus because they saw him as a problem. And the reason why they see him as a problem is because of the magnitude of the claims that he makes about himself. And not only was he a problem for for them, he's also a problem for our culture, for our society, and and us as well. Let me kind of just set the table this way, kind of of talk about what we're, uh, get us feeling what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's say that this week you received a certified letter in the mail from the IRS some of you are like freaking out already, um, saying that you owed $100,000 in back taxes, okay? I mean, that would create a sense of panic, okay, I think for all of us. Uh, or let's, let's, let's swing the other way. Let, let's say that you uh, received a certified letter from a law firm saying that you inherited from a very distant, distant, distant relative a million dollars, okay? What would we do? Well, I'll tell you what we wouldn't do. We wouldn't tear up the letter and throw it in the trash and say, meaningless. No, what we would do is we would launch into our own personal investigation to determine if the magnitude of these claims, whichever one, either or, whether we owe 100000 or we inherited a million, by the end of the day, we would have launched into our own investigation about are these claims true or not? And that's what's going on in chapter 7. And I hope and pray that that's what happens in our hearts today. Because the magnitude of the claims are so great that they demand that we wrestle with them and we investigate them on a personal level. The magnitude of the claim that Jesus, Jesus claimed that he was God and that he demanded, because he was God, he demanded complete allegiance to himself. That's got to be dealt with. Right, We've got to deal with that one way or the other. And so let's look at these four theories um, that th- this chapter that these people uh, come up with about Jesus. Okay, So here, here's what they come up with. Uh, let me just give them to you and then we'll kind of investigate them uh, as we go along. But uh, some people thought that he was a good man or, or a prophet. Okay, uh, Others saw him as a deceiver. Then there's a group of people who think he's demon-possessed or he's like a lunatic. Okay, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. Um, and then there's a group of people that think that he is indeed the Christ. And so we're going to investigate these um, um, you know, these conclusions, these theories that people have uh, come to think about Jesus. And then we're going to have three personal applications for our hearts. So John chapter 7, if you brought your Bibles, if not, we'll put it up on the screen for you. But John chapter 7 this morning, let's talk about Jesus being a a good man, okay? Let's look at uh, verses 12 in, in verse 40. So verse 12 says, among the crowds, there was a widespread whispering about him. So people are talking, okay? They've seen the miracles. Uh, they've, they've heard Jesus speak. They've heard the, you know, the magnitude of the claims that he makes about himself. And, they, and, and some said about Jesus that he was a good man, okay? Now, let's skip over to verse 40 that um, says this. It says, on hearing these words, so Jesus is Talking about himself, he's talking about his death, his resurrection, he's talking about him being, you know, God. He's on hearing these words, some people said, well, surely this man is a prophet, or uh, translation would be a good moral teacher. Now, um, no one else okay, in the history of the world, okay, no one else in the history of the world have made such outlandish claims like Jesus has made about himself and ever been accepted as anything but a fool, there have been people who have come along in, in human history and claimed to be God, claimed to be sent by God. And they've all been dismissed as a lunatic uh, or, as, uh, or they've all been dismissed as crazy. But, but Jesus here in John chapter 8, Jesus claims to be God. And people, the response is that people want to kill him. In John chapter 18, Jesus is on trial. And, and the high priest asks Jesus, he says, are you the Christ? In other words, are you the one that God promised to send to the people of Israel to, to rescue and redeem the people of Israel? And Jesus, his only response was, you said it, not me. In fact, I, I, will, I, will, be, uh, I will return at the end of history and I will judge all mankind. Jesus was constantly making radical claims about he being the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ. Jesus goes around forgiving people. And the response of the Jewish leaders, um, when Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven, they would go irate and get angry because who can forgive sins but God? And who does this guy think he is? Does he think he's God? And Jesus would say, yes, I am God. That he says, Jesus says that, he, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, in other words, I am your ultimate reality. Jesus says that we're going to see later that, that uh, any devotion to me must be so deep and so absolute that it makes all other devotions look like hatred in comparison. Jesus says if there's any betr- anything between you and me to get rid of it. Jesus even had the audacity to say, don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. And one day the entire universe will bow down to me. No one in human history, in the history of the world, has made such claims and not not been dismissed as a fool. And that's why Jesus being a good man or a moral teacher or a good prophet is an impossible option. It's impossible. He was more than a good man. He was more than a prophet. So... Let's talk about the other conclusions that, that people are drawing about him. They, they say that he's a deceiver or he's demon-possessed or a lunatic. Look at, look at verse 12 and, uh, and verse 20. Uh, verse 12 says, And others replied, No, you know he's not a good man. He's a deceiver. He deceives the people. Now jump down to verse 20. And some, the crowd also answered, you are demon possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus is talking about people trying to kill him. They're like, who's trying to kill you? He must be a lunatic. He must be a demon possessed. And so these two theories assume they're all based on the assumption that Jesus fooled people. That he pulled the wool over people's eyes. But these two theories don't line up with what we know on this side of the resurrection about the life of Jesus. Look at verses 45 through 46. It says, and finally the temple guards, so so the Jewish leaders, they they sent these guards um, uh, to go arrest Jesus and bring him uh, to them. And finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and to the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? In other words, why didn't you arrest him? Why didn't you take him into your custody? And they, they, the guards replied, no one has ever spoke the way this man does. In other words, what they were saying is like, man, this guy's different. Man, we went, we rushed into the crowd. We went to arrest him. We went to put him, uh, you know, under, uh, you know, in our, into our custody. And when we got there, he was saying things that we've never heard before. Some of us have been kind of watching him from afar and listening to the things that he said and watching the miracles that he performed. And and he lines up, his life lines up with what he says. It's like this. Let's say that you find a key in your house, you know, and and, and you, you don't know, you can't remember what key, what lock does this key unlock and or what what lock does this key go to and so you try the front door you try the back door you try the side door you try to the garage nothing okay so you go out to the shed and you you know you try to unlock that you're going from you're, you're trying every lock you possibly can and you put the lock you put the key in and the lock doesn't budge you put the key in the lock doesn't move you put the key in it doesn't unlock and finally you put the key in, you turn it, and it unlocks. You would draw the conclusion, we would draw the conclusion that this key was designed for this, rock, for this lock. Now let's take the teachings of Christ, taught over 2,000 years ago. Yet century after century, the teachings of Jesus have inspired and fulfilled the hearts and minds of people from generation to generation to generation. No one's teachings have inspired the human heart quite like the teachings of Jesus. You go back hundreds and hundreds of years. Jesus's teachings—they—they—they—they've inspired music greatly, not just now but hundreds of years ago. Right? We—the classics were were uh, were inspired by the teachings of Jesus, like like uh, Handel's Messiah. You're familiar with that, right? What's the yeah, crank it up a little bit. Let's uh, let's enjoy the inspired teachings of Jesus. It may not be your jam, but it is beautiful. You hear this at the Bass Hall, and it just rushes over you, and it captivates you. This was inspired by the teachings of Jesus, and it's captured in his heart all throughout time. And uh, the teachings of Jesus—they've inspired art all throughout time. Uh, that. It, that great paintings from the past great, uh, have, uh, uh, have been inspired by the teachings of Jesus that, 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 have, that, that capture our hearts and our minds. The teachings of Jesus have also inspired cinema, right? And, uh, I mean, I had to get this in, right? I mean, we had not talked about the chosen in a while. So, so here we go. If you haven't watched The Chosen yet, get on board. Start watching The Chosen. I think season three is about to come out, okay? So you want to get season two, season one and two in. So anyway, the teachings of Jesus over and over, hundreds and hundreds of years uh, have inspired. The teachings of Jesus are taking root rapidly. If you read about um, countries where Christianity is illegal, Christianity is spreading rapidly in these countries, that, that families are putting their faith in Christ and risking their livelihoods, being being kicked out of the community, having no one shop in their, uh, in the, in their storefronts, uh, of losing their health care, of maybe even possibly being jailed or put in prison or even executed. And people are putting their faith in Christ at a rate that outpaces the West where we don't face such persecution. I mean, the teachings of Christ has captured the human heart. And so how is, it, how is it possible that the teachings of Jesus first delivered over 2,000 years ago in a pre-modern, pre-social media society? No Instagram, no Twitter, no Facebook, okay? No TikTok, but the teachings of Christ is spread throughout the entire world. And it's because... The teachings of Christ unlock the human heart. There's nothing else like it that unlocks our heart. Just like a key is made for a lock, the teachings of Jesus are created for our hearts. And so it would be impossible for Jesus to be a deceiver or a lunatic. So it brings us to the only option is that Jesus is the Christ let me kind of start out with this, and we'll kind of unpack this statement, is that the lack of evidence can destroy faith, but strong evidence cannot create faith. That the lack of evidence, okay, can, can destroy faith, but strong evidence cannot create faith. Let me, let me kind of illustrate uh, what I'm talking about. Um, all of us have bad habits, right? All of us get, engage in, in, uh, in bad habits, and uh and we know that they're wrong for us, all right? I mean, we know that sodas are wrong, or they're they're not good for us, they're bad for us, and yet we drink them anyway, right? I mean, we all have habits in our lives that we know um are not good for us. We've seen the science, we've seen the data. It is undeniable that you know that this behavior or this behavior or this drink or that food or whatever it is are bad for us, and even though we have the evidence, we will not submit ourselves to it, right? So, so the lack of evidence can destroy faith, but strong evidence, no matter how strong the evidence is, you're going to find me at Sonic during happy hour for the Route 44 Coke. All right? I know the evidence. I've seen the, I've seen the data, but there's just something about a Route 44 Coke. We all have our habits. But the reason why it takes more than evidence to create faith, even when we've seen The evidence. And so we so here's the deal when it comes to the teachings of Jesus. We have to let the truth, we have to let the evidence address us. We have to let the evidence of Jesus uh, argue with us. We have to let the teachings of Jesus deal with us on a personal level. That there's no other way to account for Jesus' life and Jesus' teachings, other than to believe that he was who he says he was. And that he was the Christ. So three applications for our hearts. And they're strong applications. I get it. But three takeaways for our hearts this morning. Number one. It's either all of Jesus or none of Jesus. For us, it's either all of Jesus or none of Jesus. That Jesus is an all or nothing Proposition. Look at verses 43 through 44. It says, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some people believed Jesus, some people didn't believe Jesus, and some wanted to seize him, but no one dare laid a hand on him. The claims of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, has caused division among people since Jesus was here. That Jesus demands, he demands absolute obedience. He demands complete alteration of our lives. He demands unconditional allegiance and loyalty. And so here's the test we have to ask ourselves at a personal level how do we personally relate to Jesus Christ? How do you and I personally relate to Jesus Christ? Are we seeking out passages in the Bible to discover what God's will is for us? Are we killing sin daily in our lives? Are we leveraging our time and talent and financial resources for his kingdom in a sacrificial, generous, and cheerful way? Are we wrestling to put his values in our lives both publicly and privately? Are we seeking him in prayer every single day? And for a lot of us, our relationship with Jesus is, well, he'll be there when we need him. And he wants what's best for us. And don't worry about the fact that, you know, the Bible calls this particular behavior in my life a sin. Now, listen, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. I'm just telling you what's not happening in my life most days. Most days my schedule gets in the way of this. Most days my pride gets in the way of this. Most days my ego gets in the way of what Jesus asks of me. And Jesus. Jesus demands our loyalty and our allegiance. And it's either all of Jesus or none of Jesus. And we need to stop playing with Jesus like he's this kitten or good luck charm or this out-of-touch granddad. And we need to submit to him as Lord of the universe. And let me tell you, that's not going to happen just in one day. That's a slow process as we begin to look at the evidence of who Jesus is. But it's either all of Jesus or none of Jesus. Application for our hearts number two is if Jesus is God, then morality and goodness is not good enough. If Jesus is God, then morality and goodness are not good enough. Every other religion in the world says that morality and goodness are enough. But here's the problem. When somebody says, well, all religions kind of lead to God or, you know, we just need to live a good life and, you know, we'll get in. Here's the problem with that. How good is good enough? And if we want to kind of peel back the, you know, the onion a little bit, a little bit deeper and, and go deeper into that, not only is how good is good enough a problem, a bigger problem is who gets to determine good? Who determines moral? Is it you? Is it me? Is it them? Who is it? Because, I mean, here's the truth. If you and I each developed our own personal list of this is what it takes, here are five things in order to be good, and this good would be good enough, none of us would even live up to our own list perfectly, right? And so how good is good enough? That's a big problem. So... Leaders of all other religions say, this is the way to God. This is the path to God. Jesus shows up and he says, I am God. I am the way. Uh, all other religions of the world say, this is, must, this is what we must do to obtain God. This is what we must do to reach God. Jesus shows up and says, I've already done everything for you. Jesus says, I've come to live the life that no one can live and die the death that everybody deserves. That God sent Jesus, his son, his, our savior, the savior of the world to pay our sin debt in full. He's already done everything, and all we have to do is place our faith, our trust, our confidence, transfer that to Jesus instead of trying to be good enough for God because we'll never be good enough even on our best day. And so if Jesus is God, good and morality are not good enough. And application number three is be aware. As we launch into our own investigation, be aware that our own bias in our investigation, we bring our own bias in our investigation of who Jesus is, that many times we, we already draw our own conclusions about who Jesus is and how he, he impacts our lives. Case in point if we were to engage in a debate of who are your top five bands of all time, okay? In fact, Stephanie here, um, I've been having this debate with her because she made this one little uh, Facebook comment about U2, okay? We almost excommunicated her from the church uh, because she doesn't believe that U2 is a top five all-time band, okay? So we've been having this argument for about two weeks now, and I've had to set down my phone and just say, I can't respond to this woman right now. She's a lunatic, all right? But so we, 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 we have an algorithm, we're like, how many number one songs, how many top-selling albums, how many top 40 songs, longevity of the band, how many original members are still in the band? All this kind of stuff goes in. And so you have to start with the Beatles, right? I mean, the Beatles are probably the greatest band ever. And then you start talking about the Rolling Stones and, you know, where does, where does Leonard Skinner or, or Led Zeppelin or ACTC or the Eagles or, you know, or, or ABBA or, what, you know, where do all these bands come in? So you start to talk about this, and it's obvious that U2 is a top five band. (laughs) To me. But she still hasn't found what she's looking for. (laughs) But here's the deal. I have an emotional connection to those songs. Many of those songs take me back to, to my high school year. I bring my own bias into the investigation. The same is true with Jesus. That many of us bring our, we're already convinced of what we believe about Jesus. We've already, we already know everything we need to know about Jesus. And so it doesn't really matter what Jesus has to say through the gospel of John or any other gospel. But if we go into our investigation thinking, well, I don't want to hear this or I don't want to hear that. Or I don't, I don't care what Jesus has to say about this in my life. Or I don't care what Jesus has to say about that in my life. What we're really saying is I don't care who Jesus is or what Jesus has done because I'm in charge. That's what we're saying. Verse 16 and 17. Says Jesus answered, He says, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. And anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And so here's the deal we have the tools for our own investigation. Man, as the band comes, I, I just want to share with the tools that you and I have, and they're going to lead us into a response time. But we have the tools. Just like a, an astronomer has a telescope and a biologist has a microscope, we have tools. One of our tools is God's Word. It's the Bible. And are we consistently putting His truth in our hearts, in our minds? And there are going to be times that we read something in the Bible, and we're like, oh, that's a hard teaching. Maybe not hard to understand, as we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, but it's hard to accept. And so just because we read it doesn't mean that we're going to automatically align ourselves under the, under that truth, but it, it does mean that we start to process that, and, and, and we bring that constantly before Jesus. The Bible's a tool. Another tool that we have uh, is, is, is prayer, that we're going before God, and we're saying... Um, you know, God. You know, here's here's what I want. Here's what I need. Here's what's going on. But God, not my will, but Your will be done. That's a hard prayer, and it happens over time. It's progression. Another tool that we have is we have corporate worship that that we can um, that we come together and we hear our brothers and sisters sing about who God is. We sing about Jesus being holy. And we sing about who God is. We hear the word of God taught. And, and we're reminded together that we're not alone. But we have one another. And another tool we have is gospel-centered community. That, that some people to, to, re, to point us back to who God is. Some people who love us enough to, that we can say out loud, mm, I don't know about that. Let's pray about that. Let's just read this together. Let's let's wrestle. Let's struggle. Let's 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 debate this because this isn't true. But I want it to be true. Those are the tools that that we have in our lives. And then Jesus says, when we do the will of God, and when we step into that and we do what He wants us to do and submit our lives to Him, we will know. Yes, this is true because I'm holding on to it and it has captured and unlocked my heart like no other.